I haven't burped on the podcast in a long time. I have burped on the podcast more recently than you have burped on the podcast. True. It's a little weird. Are you okay? Yeah. Okay. All right. If you say so. <laughs> um, I don't know what the deal is with that. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know. It's weird. It's not on purpose. I feel like I feel like I worked myself up so much that anytime that I have been close to burping, I feel like it's not going to be good enough, so I just don't. <laughs> okay. Got it. So... Maybe I'll just try and get past that awkward stage and just, you know, let her rip again. I look forward to that. How are you? I'm, you know, I'm okay. Today's not the best day uh, for me body-wise. I, like, Mm. overdid it over the weekend. I went to a holiday party that was also a house party uh, where the living room was the dance floor. Nice. And um, a couple of drinks in, I was like... I could dance a little bit. I'll probably be fine. I got carried away real fast. Yeah. So, um, my body hurts. (laughs) I think the four stab wounds in my abdomen were like, "Mm, you could have held off on that a little longer. Right, right, right. right. But, you know, it was worth it. (laughs) Then the fact that you, like, hadn't drank a lot recently and like oh, now yeah. we're like you're like reintroducing all of these things into your body again your body was like no 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 <laughs> yeah could you maybe chill it for a hot second <laughs> man just like fucking cool it yeah slow your roll yeah like the front of my legs like hurt so bad because like when you're dancing to hip-hop music you're not standing straight up. You're like bent at the knees, right? Like a little bit at mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, whatever muscle that is, it's like right on the front of your thighs. The, mm. um, it hurts. <laughs> it hurts. Amazing. So anyway, how are you? Um, I'm good. I've been feeling rather productive lately. I love that for you. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like an adult. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah. I don't know. I I get it, though. I had one of those moments today where I was, like, cleaning out the sink instead of, like, letting the dishes pile up for the first time in, like, ever. And I was like, wow, is this what adulthood is? Yeah. I'm kind of um, nesting. I, like basically meal prepped for the week wow look at you go like i didn't i didn't like fully meal prep but i like chopped all of the veggies in the way that they needed to be chopped for all of our meals in the next week or two and so that wow when i have to make it i don't have to chop any veggies which saves like you know 15 to 20 minutes yeah so that was weird you know i love that for you though that's a good vibe yeah yeah um (laughs) yeah but also like the sad is kicking in hard (laughs) god tell me about it i haven't woken up on time to get to work on time in weeks yeah as soon as daylight savings time hit i was like i'm broken now yeah um so it's been okay actually this is the thing i wanted to bring up i (laughs) 
okay the podcast my job like I feel like everything that I'm doing I am thinking ahead I'm thinking months in advance of what it is that like is happening tomorrow I'm Mm -hmm. constantly working so far ahead and that is definitely making the seasonal depression worse oh that's not what I would have expected (laughs) oh no it is making it so much worse because I am like it is getting dark at 4 30 um and we are talking about next summer at work like it's hard Mm. my brain is constantly in too many different like time zones essentially and I am exhausted (laughs) god I can't blame you damn um, it's not like awful. I, I am enjoying a lot of the things that I'm doing, but there are just moments where I'm like, I want so bad to be thinking about the now. And I'm mm-hmm. constantly, constantly just thinking about next week or next month or three months from now. And it's really hard. Yikes. Yeah. Adulthood, man. Yeah. It's fucking weird. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Christmas is in like three weeks and I'm fine. Nope, it's in like two uh, weeks. <laughs> just fucking golden over here. Yeah. Do you want to do a shot with me? <laughs> I do. I really do. I feel like this is the appropriate time. Yeah. I have my shitty whiskey per use. Okay. I have Jameson. But then, but then I also have tea that has bourbon in it. So. Yum. Okay, okay, cheers. Yeah. Ooh. <coughs> I think Jameson with green tea, like the Lipton green tea, is solid. That's a vibe. Yeah. Um. By the way, I'm Mari. I'm Caitlin. This is alcohol and anecdotes. We're Welcome. not always depressed, I promise. I mean, like, we uh, are, but not mm, showing uh, it outwardly. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I am, but it's yeah, that's fine. True. It doesn't always take up the entirety of our conversation. Um, I am actually oh. really good. Jordan and I found a house, and we are actually moving, <gasps> and it is all official. <laughs> you didn't text me about this, my dude. I've been, I've been waiting. I've been waiting. <laughs> Bro! So here we just dump it on you. That's another one of the things that's making me think ahead. Oh uh, um, yeah, buying a house is like a thing, I guess. Yeah. Well, we're we're our closing date is in 40 days as we're recording. So <laughs> Uh well, I'm so fucking excited that you got a new house, dude, and are going to be moving in like the middle of fucking January. That's a great time to move, I hear. <laughs> I can't wait to help you. Oh, my God. Well, I have this theory that if enough people come and help. Well, okay. I have this whole packing idea. So so I'm going to get multiple different colors of duct tape. And a color will coordinate a box to a room. So, like, mm-hmm. somewhere on the door frame, I'll basically, like, put the color of duct tape. And then I'll put that on the box that coordinates so that no one has to ask me where anything goes. We can just invite a fuck ton of people over. Everyone can just grab stuff out of the house, put it into the big truck that we have, and then take it from the truck and put it into our new house. And no one has to talk about anything. They can just, like, move it and do it. It'll be done. Oh, man. I love... I'm going to put my noise-canceling headphones in and just fucking go. 
yeah honestly sick i love that yeah um yeah we've got like a big box truck at work that i can borrow and it it, literally everything in our house can fit in there no problem so in and out hopefully only take a couple hours i love that so much yeah well i'm not trying to buy a house but i did almost impulse book a trip to iceland last night just for funsies (laughs) so then i remembered i'm trying to move halfway across the country so should maybe not how about how about i move you move halfway across the country and then we wait a little bit and then we go to iceland together Yes, because this is my plan, dude. I want to get a camper van and just drive around Iceland. Because, like, the big yes. appeal of Iceland is, like, it's so the countryside's so beautiful. Yes. So, uh, I looked up flights, and they're $500 round trip from <sighs> Minneapolis, not even Cheap. from Maine, where I will be and will be much closer. And then um, the round, or, like, the seven-day rental of the van was, like, $800. Hell so, yeah. If I even if I went alone, it would only be twelve hundred. Right. Thirteen hundred dollars. Anyway. Yeah, so very exciting things. All good. All good things. All good. I love it. I'm exhausted all the time. But other than that, I'm happy. <laughs> Dude, I feel that. I feel that. It's okay. Yeah. So everything's fine. <laughs> it is. It is. Should we talk about what you're drinking? It looks like you're drinking wine. Is that what you're talking about today? I am, yeah. I am drinking wine. I could have guessed by the time period in the region, but I didn't want to assume. <laughs> you know. Well, if you had, you would have assumed right. Okay. So <laughs> I have a love hate relationship with this wine that we're gonna come <laughs> today. <laughs> oh good. Yes, good. This is hard for me. I was kind of scrambling. Okay, first of all, I wanted to start this whole new thing where I was like, I'm going to give a hint at the end of the episode what we're talking about. And last episode, as you know, Mari, I forgot until after we finished recording. Yeah, literally (laughs) did it once and then forgot the very next time. It's fine. We're going to get it today. We're going to get it. We are. I do actually have it in my notes, so I cannot forget. I'm Um, proud of you. (laughs) But. So I was scrambling to find something really quick and I was just like, fine, I will do this wine Um, because it has (laughs) to be done eventually. (laughs) We will eventually one day probably run out of wines, but I don't think that time is anytime soon, Caitlin. Definitely not. And actually this one kind of reminded me that there are a lot more wines to cover, which I will sort of get to. Um, oh, so we're going to talk about Moscato. Oh, classic. Every <laughs> 19-year-old college girl's dream. <laughs> we're not advocating for underage drinking. I'm just no. citing a stereotype. Well, and actually, the U.S. is one of the only few places where 19, you aren't legally allowed to drink. So I, I'm just covering our bases. Okay? Do what you will with that information. Yes. Um <laughs> At 19, I was drinking in Greece on a college trip, so, like... I wasn't in Greece, but I was still drinking Italian wine, so... (laughs) Glorious. Uh, Okay. So, yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with this wine, because I know, I know that there are probably really amazing Moscatos out there, but I... 
drank way too much of it when I was underage and it was very cheap and it was very sweet. And that to me seemed like a good wine. <laughs> as as it should, yeah. As you do. Um so <laughs> I'm gonna have a really hard time not thinking about both of us just being really drunk on Moscato in college. Dude. Okay. <laughs> I had I had this thing that I would tell people and honestly I still do kind of stick by it. I am a firm believer that pink Moscato tastes like the color pink. It does. You're correct. Um, like whatever you imagine when you think about what the color pink might taste like, that's yeah. probably what Moscato would taste like to you, I think. Yes. I don't have, I know that there are people who have um, synesthesia or is that the one that's, oh no, that's the one that sounds taste. No, sounds have color. Oh, whatever. There's one where words have a taste. I don't have that, so I could be wrong. Maybe pink Fiscato does actually not taste, taste like, like something else. But to me, <laughs> that's what it tastes like. So, okay. Anyways, without further ado. <laughs> that was a lot of ado. <laughs> okay. Um, really quick, my sources are winefully.com, winedeals.com, and freewines.com. Wow. Freewines.com? <laughs> it's F-R-E. Not a second E. We'll well, get it, ha- it had a chance to be way cooler. We'll get to it. It will be cool. Just wait. Oh, okay, 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 okay. okay. So, All right. Um, I did keep it kind of short on the history because there are multiple different styles and like I said, we will, well, like Mari said, we will eventually run out of wines, but maybe we won't because there are five different styles of Moscato. Oh my God. So I can cover each one in their own episode. I don't know that I'm mentally or emotionally ready for that, but it's okay. It'll be All great. Right. I'll give you a quick, <laughs> I'll give you a, a zippy little uh, classification of each eventually and um, they will be fun. Okay. I just was really reluctant to do this first uh, one. <laughs> I can't tell if you're trying to convince me or convince yourself that it's going to be fun. Oh, all okay. of us. Trying to convince Every one. Got it. Okay. Yes. Noted. <laughs> okay. So Moscato is the Italian word for Muscat Blanc, which is one of the oldest wine grapes in the whole wide world. The whole wide world. I put that in my notes. <laughs> I respect it overall its origins are pretty unpredictable but it's believed to have originated in greece moscato bianco was cultivated by the ancient greeks greeks who called it no the greeks greeks (laughs) (laughs) who called it anathelicon muscaton that sounds very typically greek yep yeah Mm -hmm. um and the ancient romans referred to it as a piano in reference to the bees who loved its aroma. Oh, we love bees. We do love bees. Okay, I'm less salty about Moscato now <laughs> in general. So it's, it's a nice Good. fun fact. Good. Are you sweet on it? No, we're not there yet. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay. <laughs> in the medieval ages, it was known as musk. Referring to musky or aromatic scents. Basically, it's just always been very aromatic. Mm -hmm. It was, and 
still is popular in the Piedmont region of Italy, thanks to Duke Emmanuel Filiberto of Savoy. That's a title. Yes. And a name. He favored local production of the wine. So he basically like limited all importation of the product, which helped build like a really healthy, healthy reputation of it for the locals. You know what? Hashtag shop small. Hashtag support small businesses. True. <laughs> really hard for you to spit out. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, so this gave it a chance to like gain prestige, especially in local regions. And then in the 1700s, the Agricultural Society of Turin declared its notability. You know, good old, good old Turin. <laughs> yep. You know. If you know, you know. You know. You know. <laughs> I don't know shit yeah. about Turin. <laughs> Great. We're doing grape. This is so grape. <laughs> um, though the grape, <laughs> I can't. That was really hard to say after we both. Okay, though the grape has created its own success, it is quite difficult to grow. It produces low yield, attracts mildew and various pests, buds early, ripens late. And because of that, needs a really long growing season. Uh, why does it sound <laughs> like a sorority girl? Oh my god! <laughs> That's why they like it so much. Sorry! <laughs> it's it's the sorority girl of wines in like more ways than I thought. <laughs> no. 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 Oh my god. <laughs> to that again <laughs> difficult to grow <laughs> low producing yields <laughs> attracts mildew and various pests <laughs> buzz early ripens late i'm so sorry oh my god oh. Well, what i was gonna say is even even though all of these things impede its ability to be profitable, a lot of winemakers are still able to make a very great wine at an affordable price, which I guess is also a sorority girl. Yeah, that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. What are you sorry for? <laughs> I don't know why. Second I'm the one who it. <laughs> Stressed. I'm not sorry for putting I that. I shouldn't be. Sorority girls were always mean to me. Yeah. <sighs> okay, anyway. <laughs> Moving on. Oh my god, okay. Anyways, that's true, actually. <laughs> okay, Mari, I do have a picture of the grapes on the drive. I am looking at it, yes. Yes, grapes. Those are grapes. They look like grapes. 
Um, so I'm going to talk a little about about each. Oh my god, a little bit about each individual style. There That's are the other photo. I'm assuming. Yes, five technically types of moscatos. Wow. Um, so sparkling is one of them. This is what we know as Moscato Diasti. This is a semi-sparkling wine. Okay. Um, or we also know Asti Spumante, which is fully sparkling, not semi-sparkling. Uh, I think you're using the term we rather liberally in this instance because i didn't know shit about this but that's okay okay so now you know now we know it is in the noggin so two two types of sparkling there's Mm -hmm. there's one category of sparkling two types semi-sparkling or not or fully sparkling moscato di astius semi asti spumante is fully sparkling got it great in the these are perfect for pool parties. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Bunch of woo girls, let's go. <laughs> we should it's, be in a sorority. It's par for the course at this point this is on the this episode. Alpha Alpha sorority. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get it? No. Yeah, because oh, we're A and A. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I got it. It just I, I got it as soon as I said no. Um all right. Okay. <laughs> so these versions, <laughs> these versions are usually uh, like highly protected by the DOCG classification. This is like the classification that calls uh, Parmesan Reggiano. Like the the only way that it can be called Parmesan Reggiano is, is if it comes from that region. Mm-hmm. Same with like Champagne can only be called Champagne if it's from Champagne. This mm-hmm. is the same classification that clarifies those things. So mm-hmm. if it says Moscato di Asti or Asti Spumanti. That means that it comes from that region. I have a thought, which is that technically we're alcohol and anecdotes. So there's three A's, so we should be alpha, alpha, alpha. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, take that all you fucking alpha boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude bros. Um, yeah, dude bros. We are the alphas. Okay, all three anyways. of them. Anyway. Uh, all yeah. Three <laughs> There, there's a cap on the alphas in this world. There's only three, and we are all, all three. three. Yeah, yeah. Just saying. True. <laughs> okay. Um, anyways. I immediately went to drink my tea like Kermit the Frog. Just like <laughs> I, it. I saw that. Um, okay. Anyways, these sparkling styles are very well balanced. They have like a nice like zippy acidity. They're slightly bubbly or like very bubbly uh, and very sweet and aromatic with a nice minerality. Noted. Yes. Sweet and um, bubbly still sounds like a sorority girl. True. That's I'm only thinking pool parties. I'm only thinking about this entire episode in the context of sororities now. So sorry. Okay. That's fair. It'll keep coming back. I think. Good. Great. Love it. Um, so then we have the beta beta betas. <laughs> These are the Moscatos that are still, so they're not as bubbly. Not as bubbly. Or not bubbly. <laughs> 
They're they're not your first pick at Rush, okay? Right. They are made with Muscat Blanc and other Muscat varieties. Um, they're usually a little bit more dry on the palate, but they have like really sweet aromatics that kind of trick your brain into thinking that they're very sweet and very fruity. So they're the nerdy sororities. Yeah. Beta, beta, beta. Got it. <clears throat> yep. It's all coming together now. Oh my god. Okay. I can't keep going with that. Um, I will do my best. Okay. Next we have You can leave it to me. That's okay. fine. Perfect. So next we have pink. These are basically still Moscatos, but with a little bit of Merlot grapes to give it like its signature pink color. They're very light strawberry flavor. I don't, I don't have anything. I'm Great. Sorry. I left it to you and you didn't have anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, other than that, like pink is very generally sorority vibes. I don't right. know. Like, so these are maybe the, these are maybe the girls who didn't make it into like the popular sorority. They weren't like um, alumni. Like they didn't have all those, but they were still very girly pop. Those are these girls. Mm. Are they the girls that want to be in sororities but aren't? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Or like they should be in sororities but aren't. But. Yeah. Yeah. But okay, there's next. like there's like there's like an underlying reason why they're not. It's just that sure. they're. It's not that they're not. It's just that they. Uh, maybe nobody picked them at Rush. Maybe that's either no one picked them or they chose not to be, but people did pick them. (laughs) One or the other. It's both. (laughs) Okay, next we have red, aka black Moscato. These are gonna have notes of raspberry, rose petals, violets, and black tea. These are made from a rare Italian red grape called Chiava, mixed with Muscat of Alexandria. These are the like the sorority elite. They're like the ones who are fighting Ooh. over being a president. Like they're like campaigning hard. There's backstabbing involved. There's drama. Thinking, they're sleeping with each other's boyfriends. I do love this, but I was thinking <laughs> these are the girls. Okay, have you watched Wednesday? No. Okay. Well, I was thinking these are the girls that are like Wednesday in the new Netflix series. Mm -hmm. These are the girls who are like the goth girl, but they're like the it girl. Everyone wants to be them. They know how to do everything. They are like on top, but they do not (laughs) give a fuck and they will not be in a sorority. (laughs) Okay. Maybe. I haven't heard about the last one yet. So, you know. Like, might- their mom was in the sorority. They should be in the sorority. They should be on top. They, they, they could are- be in Legacy, like, yes. but they're just choosing they're like, not no. to be. I am the goth girl. Right. I won't do it. I, I respect that interpretation as well. Yeah. Um, It could be both. I've watched, I've they watched are both. Too- I've watched too much Greek. Like, that's one of my favorite shows. I fucking love Greek. Have we never talked about Greek? Oh my god, have we never talked about Greek? What the fuck? (laughs) I fucking love that show. I'm so mad that they didn't keep making it. Oh, I I miss that show so much. (laughs) Okay. Oh my god. (laughs) That's a conversation for another time. Yes. Um, But anyway, I just keep thinking about, like, I can't even remember their names anymore. I can't either. Uh, I can picture them all. Yeah, like... You know what ones I'm talking about. Yes, yeah. I do. Okay, great. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> if you know, you know. If you don't, I'm sorry. Honestly, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the final. Ugh, I love Greek. Okay. The final <laughs> Moscato type is Moscato dessert wines. So these are especially sweet and especially rich. Um, and actually, winefully.com suggests pouring it over ice cream. They are that sweet and rich that they can be really good just literally in your dessert. That sounds tasty as fuck. Yes. Honestly, I view those ones more as the elite girls who are sleeping with each other's boyfriends and like doing all See, that kind of stuff. Because they're like so sweet, but they're also so like over the top. Yeah. No. See, now that I've heard you describe that one, yeah. I would I would change my classification. I. <laughs> yes. Casey Cartwright. Uh, yes. Is Casey Cartwright. Casey uh. Cartwright. Jesus. Rebecca Logan. Oh my, oh my God. Rebecca Logan is a fucking dessert muscat. Yes. She yes. is. She is. Okay. <laughs> so. Okay, but can. First, okay, first, but- <laughs> for, for a second, for a second, for a second. Can we just talk about Cappy? I love Cappy so much. I do too. Okay, I just need the to get sweetie that out pie there. like pretend bad boy who, but he's really just a fucking marshmallow. Oh, uh, love, him so love him so yeah. much. Okay, what a great show. Anyways, God, so good. Okay, okay, on, on, okay. moving on. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I did mix things up a little bit this time because so I'm I'm gonna do like taste and aroma first because some of the fun facts tie in with those so i wanted to talk about that after okay so from for moscatos we're going to be looking at a really low abv compared to a lot of other wines usually you can expect like 10 to 15 percent range Mm -hmm. these ones you're going to expect maybe five to ten percent with an average of like six percent abv very low very light that's why they're college girl wine (laughs) That's why you can drink a whole bottle and not and feel everyone like else, dying. Yeah, not feeling dying. And everyone else is like, I'm so hungover today. And you're like, girl, I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Except for mimosas now, obviously. Yes. I would drink like two bottles of pink Moscato and wake up the next day being like, let's get brunch. And everyone was like, I can't even breathe today. I was like, you guys are so lazy. Um, no, it's because I was drinking really long call uh wine. Yes. So light bodied, sweet. You can expect tropical fruits, especially citrus. Notes um, of tanning oil. <laughs> no. Usually like lightly bubbly, as we talked about. Some can be more was... so, some can be still. I know. I know. <laughs> Not actually tanning oil I know. for the record. I'm just pointing it out for everyone else. No. There is no notes of coconut in this one. No notes of coconut. Okay, got it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. No, I knew you were trying to make a joke. That was okay. Oh, okay. Well, you just like chugged it off. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to keep going. <laughs> we're too far off track to be bothered at this point. So, <laughs> Okay. Flavors and aromas will typically consist of peach, orange blossom, Meyer lemon, mandarin orange, pear, honeysuckle, and you'll get like a lot of floral notes as well. That all checks out with anything I would have expected. Yep. 
So for the fun facts that I have for this one, um, Moscato has a floral aroma that comes from the terpene linalool, which is found in mint, citrus flowers, and cinnamon. Huh. I think we talked about terpenes a little bit in the we, 420 episode, right? Yeah, we have. Okay. Yep. Okay. Just want to make sure that I wasn't just like introducing that word. Okay. Yes, we did talk a little bit about that in that one. Um, lightly carbonated wine is called frizzante by the Italians. Frizzante. Or friz- yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and so because of how old this grape is, uh, as in Muscat Blanc, it had the chance to spread around the world very early, long time ago. So you you can find it in France, Italy, Austria, Greece, Israel, and Australia, among many other regions. Like it literally grows. <laughs> everywhere <laughs> despite it being an asshole of a grape to grow apparently yeah that that's amazing yeah um okay so i want to talk to you now about pairings pairings beautiful thank you music I was, in I, my ears I literally, I wanted so hard to do whatever, like, I can't remember what the theme song of Greek would have been, but for a second I was like, I wish I knew that right now, because that's how I so would have So you could Yes. But I don't know the theme song to Greek anymore, despite the fact remember. that I have serious nostalgia for that show. I know um, that if I heard it. I would like, instantly be like. If it was in like a yeah. trivia round and it was played, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's the Greek soundtrack. <laughs> I'd be like, I know this one. Um, but yeah, off the top but of my I head, can't I can't summon it out of thin air. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, so pairings. This one's going to be a really good one with Asian cuisine, believe it or not. I am al- alarmed. Yeah. Huh. It's like low alcohol and extra sweetness can help balance out spicy like Thai, Indian, and Vietnamese foods. All of those things sound so good. Yes. Mm-hmm. I had bibimbap for lunch today, in case anyone cares. Yeah. So good. Did you go to that new place downtown? Little, Little brother? brother? Yes. Uh, yes. Oh my God. Okay. I'm very 11, excited to try it. 11 out of 10. So good. Can't wait. Um, so, but other than that, I mean, yeah, bibimbap, curry, all of those things would be actually surprisingly really great with Moscato. But aside from that, obviously, we are going to talk about charcuterie. <laughs> Duh! So, salami, prosciutto, brie. Mm. Um, mm. The sweetness is going to do a really good job of, like pairing with that fattiness they're not necessarily going to cancel each other out they're going to complement each other it's going to be really nice um you know so do figs melon uh some nuts like almonds um and definitely raw veggies Hmm. just like pile up that charcuterie board and have a great time honestly yeah now i just want to build a charcuterie board for myself yes um, it is also often considered a dessert wine. Obviously, there are Moscato dessert wines, as we talked about, mm-hmm. but Moscato in general is typically considered a dessert wine. So try it with sponge cake. Or a dirt wine. Tart. 
dirt wine. Um, sponge cake, fruit tarts, vanilla ice cream, rice pudding, and creme brulee. So, like, the best thing is, like, things that are, like, very light um, or, like, maybe have complementary fruits. Um, like I said earlier, orange blossom is one of the flavors. So, probably, like, a little bit of orange on your fruit tart or vanilla ice cream, something like that is going to be really nice and complimented. Oh, oh, that sounds so good. Okay, I'm willing to forgive Moscato its terrible reputation. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I was like I said, I was so reluctant, but it was fun, and there are there are a lot of nuances to it. So I'm so sorry, Moscato. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking stereotypes, man. <laughs> Not that I've done nothing, but uh, perpetuate those this whole episode. It's irrelevant. Honestly, it's fine. I did kind of really enjoy the sorority girl thing. Um, <laughs> especially as someone who drank a lot of Moscato. You were I was Wednesday. not a sorority girl, but I was Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> no, at that time, I was more of a, a, a woo girl. I probably would have been... Okay, if I had to classify myself and I was not in a sorority, I probably would have been a still Moscato. Okay. The beta, beta, beta. The nerdy girl who, like, still wanted to, like, party and be in a sorority but never was accepted into a sorority. That was me. I think that would also be me, to be honest. But now I think we both fall Are the Wednesday, the red or AK black Moscato? Yeah. I think we both (laughs) firmly fall in the Wednesday Moscato category. Yeah. I agree. (laughs) I love this for us. I think at this point it's also just, like, that's the millennial category. We all fall Yes, it's honestly it's the mental and emotional journey. Uh, yes. you know, yeah. Categorize your journey in Moscatos. It, it's yeah. doable at this point. <laughs> but only if you land in the black Moscato category at the end. That's Amazing. all that matters. Amazing. So good. Fun time. <laughs> uh, okay. Now I will only people watch in Moscato language. <laughs> That person, that person is a bubbly Moscato. Yeah, yeah. That person is an Asti Sumante for sure. That person, okay. they're, def- they're definitely a pink Moscato. They're giving, <laughs> they're giving pink Moscato vibes. Okay, they're giving girly pop vibes. So, <laughs> um, so I was still drinking tonight, but while I was at the liquor store and I was trying to find. Um, a Moscato to pick out. I actually ended up coming across a non-alcoholic um, wine brand. Oh. And they had a Moscato. And I was like, this is perfect. I would really love to cover something like this. So, like I said, I'm still drinking my own. But I wanted to specifically talk about this non-alcoholic Moscato. Um, it is quite tasty it's a little weird they are um alcohol removed not alcohol free so to me it was okay. like different in that aspect that's why sure. that's what i mean by weird the the yeah the wine itself is not weird um just the fact that whatever Anyways. at one point it had alcohol in it and then somebody yes took it out Yes. So the brand is free, F-R-E. That's what the website was that I was talking about earlier. Oh. Yes. The one where you were like, oh, not as cool. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. 
Okay, okay. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yes. So um, from the website, they have their tasting notes, which state, our decadent alcohol-removed Moscato opens with gorgeous aromas of rose petals and peaches framed by a palette of sweet, creamy flavors and a lovely lingering finish. Um, and then they say for the vineyards and winemaking, we select the fruit for our alcohol-removed Moscato from Premier Vineyards in California's warm inland valleys, where bountiful sunshine enhances the luscious aromas and flavors for which this varietal is prized. Hmm. Our winemakers carefully craft this Moscato using traditional methods. Then our exclusive spinning cone process gently removes the alcohol while preserving the wine's delicate aromas and flavors. Fascinating. Yeah. I I bet there's a lot of science in removing alcohol from wine. Yes. I, I'm having a really hard time wrapping my head around it, but I love that someone figured it out. Yeah. I had actually never heard of this um, exclusive spinning cone process. <laughs> so, I mean, I imagine that it's basically like a centrifuge. I could be entirely wrong. I did not look into this at all. But that's just Uh, what I imagine. Like, that seems to make the most sense. (laughs) (laughs) We're going with it, okay? Well, I mean, yeah, like, truly, like, so it's going to separate those things from each other. Again, maybe I'm wrong. Because I know that there are other ways of removing alcohol from things as well, like um, distillation. I assume you would also be able to rig that in order to remove the alcohol from the product. Right. Like, you stop it in the midst of the distillation so that whatever um science you're saying a lot of science things um, <laughs> so it is really good so the, the thing that is weird to me about it as a person who drinks a lot of wine is it does taste very grapey but it's not necessarily bad like it does not taste like grape juice i just okay am able to taste grape um but i think that also is where the like rose petal flavor comes from it's like a really good balance between like grape and floral good to know um and like white grape it is a white wine so definitely white grape again not like i am a person who does not like purple grapes i do not like jelly yeah (laughs) i think it's disgusting this is not like that flavor okay it's not like Welch's grape juice vibes. Yes, right. Not artificial, not Welch's. Yeah. Um, good, good, good. No, it's really subtle. It's really nice. Again, alcohol removed. So I don't know entirely how that affects people who do not drink alcohol. Like I know that um, gluten removed can still be problematic for people who are allergic to gluten, whereas mm-hmm. people who do not eat gluten it doesn't necessarily bother them. So I don't know how much of a difference that makes for certain people. But it yeah. is really nice. This is the only thing that I have tried from free. And personally, I would highly recommend. As a person who does drink alcohol, this still is a very, very great flavor and would be a very great alternative for people who, to me, who do not drink alcohol. I love that. I love that um, in like the last few years, there's been such a a trend of making like quote unquote adult beverages more accessible yep. like even if you can't drink or um don't want to drink like there's something for you that is um 
like accommodates that but doesn't make you feel excluded i guess yeah um, so it's awesome yeah and this would also it also has a really nice flavor that it would be really good for um any like wine like mocktails as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm sure it would great make a like a great mimosa um anything that you would like typically consider a white wine for i'm sure it would also do a really good job of making that for you so we love yes we do um the website also did have some pairing notes um it was very much the same as i already said spicy asian indian cuisine light and mild cheeses and fruit-based desserts so it still is going to do a really great job of pairing with those things that you would typically pair an alcohol moscato with so fantastic yeah i love it yeah um I'm not going to make any sorority jokes about that because, honestly, <laughs> it's too wholesome. So It is. Um, it is too wholesome, right? <laughs> I guess that was inadvertently a sorority joke. Whoops. <laughs> I Okay, wait. Actually, I do have something to say about that. Um, I don't even know how to preface this. I feel like if you listen, if you've listened to this podcast and ever come across this podcast, then in some way or somehow, you know <laughs> that we are not necessarily wholesome. We have progressive viewpoints. Um, that's that's all that I hope that I need to explain to to say this. So, as Jordan and I have been looking for houses, um this old sorority house <laughs> kept coming up in our feed for a house for sale and the owner had taken pictures while the girls were still living in it oh lord um a very cute house they took very good care of it but there is one room or there was one room <laughs> where there was a huge flag and I just want to state. <laughs> I'm so nervous. Okay. What drew me to the flag while I was like looking at the pictures, looking through this room, like trying to like look at the room. What drew me to the flag is that the, it was the colors of the lesbian flag. But what the flag said <laughs> was virginity rocks. And I was stressed. I I have so many thoughts and none of them are good. Um <laughs> well <laughs> um my big thing that I want to think is like you do you. That's great. If that's the thing that you view, if that's the place if that's the place that you want to be, the the thing that you want Good for you. Great for you. But, but it was don't... a huge flag. Jesus. That said huge. It like covered the wall. That said virginity rocks. Oh my God. And I could not get past the fact that it was the <laughs> the lesbian pride flag colors. It was all in my mind that I could think when I saw it was depends on what you think of virginity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah. That was also where my head was at, yeah. so I'm really glad I'm not alone. No, it was also, um, like, kind of on one of the more, how I would consider religious 
campuses in town. That's so where the sorority was. <laughs> so Concordia. Yes. yes. I'm a Concordia um, graduate. I'm allowed to call them out. Yeah. Um, uh, so it was on there. So I was like, okay, this does make sense. It does check out, but just the fact it was just yeah. Concordia is a weird place, man. As someone who graduated <laughs> from that school. I have very distinct memories. I like I was openly atheistic um in college. Like obviously still am. Nothing nothing much has changed there. You're just but, not in college anymore. Right. But the the issue is that it's a very Christian school and you are required to take religion classes. Um, not many, just two. One 100 level one and one 300 level one. Okay. And I followed someone's recommendation for what professor to take for my religion 100 class. And it was the only fucking professor who didn't cover any other world religion. He only talked about Christianity and then Judaism got a week and Islam got a week because they're also, um, like they're in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Um, and all the other classes were like talking about Sikhism and, islam and buddhism and like all of the religions oh, are getting like so like you asked the wrong person and i they... very much so apparently asked the wrong person like we were friends we had classes together i was like convinced right. that like i should trust their judgment i was wrong so right. wrong and so we spent and not that they necessarily did wrong but you were hoping for someone you were hoping for a class that was going to teach you about a lot of religions and you ended up just getting christian propaganda for Got a whole it. semester yeah great um we we love i guess but anyway i was openly antagonistic like a lot of the time um and like asked a lot of very critical questions because mm-hmm. i even if i had been a believer at the time like i'm a firm proponent of like you shouldn't just take what you believe at face value you should question it because that's how you learn more about it and yeah. so I was asking really hard questions and like there were people in the class who whole ass just fucking hated me <laughs> like because <laughs> huh? I was calling shit out and that I, says a lot I, about them. I know and it says a lot about Concordia too that that's like yeah. the vibe but um, my religion 300 class was way better because it was um, women in religion but it did what I wish my 100 level class had been which is talked about a variety of different faiths as a non-religious person, mm-hmm. I'm not learning about religion for the sake of, like, learning how to practice a faith. I'm learning about religion to see what it says more about the people who practice it than the yep. actual faith. Yeah. And so, like, that was just a really interesting, um, like, insight into it. And we also meditated for 10 minutes every class. And it was cool. in the summer. So there was only, like, 10 classes in the whole thing. So, yeah. Um way different vibe in my religion 300 class than in yeah. my religion 100 class but that's also so cool because i feel like it opens that 10 minutes to um if anyone is in that class and has religion where they want that 10 minutes to pray or like it opens it up to to any sort of meditation practice that you might have right yeah it was really great and the like, the professor had, like, a bell, and we all sat facing the wall away from each other. Like, cool. it was just, like, a really nice mindfulness practice. Um, Amazing. 10 out of 10 on that class. But, that. Uh, yeah, Concordia as a whole, weird fucking experience. <laughs> weird yeah. experience. That's Again, all I got. it 
if you are like about virginity, uh, cringe at the word, um, however that may apply to you and your religious freedom, that is amazing, good for you. But I just felt so uncomfortable seeing that play. Oh, yeah. And also like sorority room. Yeah, you just you just gotta like I don't know the thing about it. Like I have the same stance on like the concept of virginity as I do about um, like women who choose to veil. Like I support you in doing whatever you want to do, but I I I hope for you that it is coming from a place of informed like practice rather than of internalized misogyny which is like where a lot of that can go yeah um so i just i just i just want you to make non-internalized misogyny decisions yep all i want <laughs> on no, that actually, note <laughs> that's why i fucking hate the word virgin or virginity is because it's all a thing that's totally based on oh yeah misogyny. yay yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyways, <laughs> on that note, should we take a fucking break, dude? Oh my god, we should. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm gonna go get some more bourbon tea. I'll yeah, I'm gonna go get more real wine. I support that for you. Because I've had enough non-alcoholic. It is great for all of you who don't drink, but I do, so. You can mix it up. It's all good. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll be back. Welcome back. We're back. <laughs> you know, we just talked off mic for like way too long, so let's just take the shot right away. Is that okay? Yeah. Is oh, okay? yeah. Please. Preferred, <laughs> in fact. Okay. Uh, okay. Cheers. Perfect. <laughs> I'm not okay. How do you like, uh, mom? <laughs> oh, yeah, I see her. She's like, are you okay? You okay? I'm fine. It's okay. You it's go fine. lay down. Play with your bone. Yeah, go. You go lay down. All right? Nope. Nope. In our new house, Jax is going to have a fenced-in yard. Amazing. I'm so excited. I love that for you. I... Cannot wait for the moment that I like put him in it and unleash him, and he's like, "Wait, I know, I can be free," and I'm like, "Yeah," and he's like, "The fuck?" <laughs> That's um, the conversation that we're gonna have with our eyes, mm-hmm. and then he's just gonna like take off and tear up a rug. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be really fun to watch for you. Yeah, I imagine I will film it. Okay, good. <laughs> that's all that's all i can ask for yeah that's me so good yeah um yeah <laughs> um yeah. i feel like we should have saved one of the conversations we had off mic for this we talked about books books are cool read some books <laughs> <laughs> um okay Without any further ado, again, <laughs> I'm struggling. Um, sorry, take it away with whatever story you have for us. 
I will. Um, <laughs> you just roll your eyes at me. <laughs> no, I. It probably looked that way on camera. I looked at my coffee mug and then at my notes and then back mm. at my coffee mug. Um, I realized. So I'm drinking out of my Hercules mug <gasps> because Plus. it is moderately, like very tangentially related today. But then my dumbass just realized that this came in a pair and the other mug has Hades on it. And that would have been way more relevant to today. So I'm mad at myself that I didn't drink out of my Hades mug. So we'll get to it. We're getting to it. Yeah. Um, Okay. So today we're going to be talking about myth. (sighs) My mic was suddenly a lot closer to my face than I remembered (laughs) it being. (laughs) Uh, today we're going to be talking about myth, hence the Hercules mug, um, but it's actually going to be less about a specific mythological story and more about the way that mythological stories impact like civilization as they evolve. Cool. Love like, that. You know, um, it, what I'm trying to say is I'm about to get on my nerd soapbox for however long this takes. Super. That's why we started a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, line one, we all know Hades, but what about Orcus? Why didn't I, why didn't I grab my Hades mug? I'm so mad at myself. It's okay. Okay. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> like Hades, Orcus is a god of the underworld, um, though they are from a different mythological tradition, kind of. They're from the Roman. Mm tradition also kind of we'll get there because and i quote from my actual notes and listen the romans were an uncreative bunch of plagiarists but orcus is a fun one though we don't know a ton about him uh it's true the romans did literally steal everything from the greeks not just the greeks as we're about to learn but yeah they stole everything um (laughs) All the time. Land, people, myths. Gods, pantheons, traditions, you name it. Women. Um, yeah. Rude. Um, okay. <laughs> Rude. So, so, obviously, because nothing in Rome is original, you can tell I'm a classicist who spent way more time studying Greece than Rome. Um, where does Orcus, this god of the underworld, come from? Great question, Caitlin. I would love to tell you. Um, Orcus is actually... Is that the tip of my tongue? <laughs> is actually an Etruscan god. Sort of. Um, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of sort of through this yep, yep. episode. I could tell. Um but who are the Etruscans? Another great question, Caitlin. I would also love to tell you that. I'm on the edge of my seat. This, I was in some sort of mood when I wrote my notes today. Clearly. That is verbatim from my notes. Okay, so the Etruscans... It's okay, I've got like 17 more idioms in me, so let's go. Amazing. Great. <laughs> uh, okay, so the Etruscan civilization... Um, they were uh, a civilization that slightly predates Rome, 
on the Italian peninsula. So they're kind of just north of where Rome is now. And um, there is a map on the drive for your reference in case you're lost. Um, they'll be on the website, obviously, alcoholandanecdotes.com, in case you forgot. Um, so it's on the peninsula. It's a little bit north of where Rome is. It sort of predates Rome, but archaeologically and kind of ideologically, they're very similar to the Romans, um, like what we think of as the Romans now. Um, like visually their art is very similar, especially, um, this is like the easiest comparison I can draw, I guess, is like brightly colored frescoes, which are really common in Roman and Greek architecture. Um, very similar physical features to that period in the Greek and Roman artistic tradition. Um, lots of bronzes, statues, these things. If you looked at, like, if you just Googled Etruscan art and you looked at it, you would not really be able to tell the difference from a layman's point of view between that and Greek or Roman art. So the Etruscans entered the scene around 900 BC. Um, so that is definitely pre-Rome. And they kind of outshone Rome for a while. But then obviously, as we know, Rome entered the scene or... took everything over slowly i don't know i don't i don't like rome i'm having a hard time here rome sieged the scene rome came crashing in yeah um capitalized on the scene rome Rome stormed in on the scene i'm going with rome happened um i feel like that sums it up rome Carpe diem'd their way in. <laughs> uh, Rome did carpe the diem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Um, where was I? Okay. So as Rome began to grow and like slowly become an empire, they started... First, with, like, their immediate surroundings, like, absorbing the, the civilizations of the people around them on the Italian peninsula, and the Etruscans were one of them. In 90 BC, so this was 810 years after, give or take, um, the Etruscans really were established, um, the Etruscans became Roman citizens, and then they were fully absorbed, so they weren't just, like, a territory, they were fully absorbed into Rome as an empire in 27 BC. Um, so at this point, they're pretty much more like more or less Roman. Etrus- Etruscan's not a thing anymore. Um, anyway. <laughs> I just forgot <laughs> how to read for like a solid 30 seconds. Um, what I'm are doing words, really well. honestly? Uh, no one knows. Um from a philosophical point of view, I bet you would have a hard time defining what a word is. I'm just saying. An amalgamation of random letters. But what that about... That means something to some people and something to no people. But what about languages that are unwritten, Caitlin? Then then how do you define a word? I don't... Listen, I took 
a Greek philosophy class one time and they asked us to define a chair and it was surprisingly difficult. So that's the only reason I'm being an asshat about it. All I can uh, think of is Natasha Bedingfield. Um, I'm not following. <laughs> if you know, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll get that later, maybe. <laughs> anyway, so circling back. Okay, so the Roman Pantheon got a few cool dudes from the um, Etruscan Pantheon when the Etruscan civilization was, like, absorbed into Rome, including this cool-ass, scary motherfucker named Orcus. Um, So we're going to circle back to talking about him and not the Etruscans now. Surprise. Um. So, for starters, we don't even really have a clear idea of, like, what he would have looked like. Um, Despite the fact that Etruscans and Romans really like just, like, to display their gods and, like, mythological figures through art, there's nothing that we can definitively say, like, this is Orcus. Um, At first, this is, I think this story is fucking hilarious, actually. Um, There's this tomb in uh on the italian peninsula called the tomb of orcus and in it there's a fresco on the wall um and like many frescoes that are 2000 plus years old um it's kind of fragmentary it's not in perfect condition anymore and so most of what you see is like this big hairy dude and Um, so for a long time, we thought this was Orcus. (laughs) So we thought that Orcus was a big hairy giant. Um, and it turns out that that's not Orcus because it is actually the Cyclops. I was just going to say that he only has one eye. Yeah, it's a Cyclops. And that scene is actually representing Odysseus and the Cyclops because... (gasps) The the Iliad and the Odyssey predate the Etruscan tradition as well, so they would have had some of those stories in their like lexicon, basically. Amazing. Yeah. Well, the so- Cyclops has beautiful eyelashes. <laughs> right. Like gorgeous eyelashes and a lush head of hair, honestly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So they they thought this was Orcus. It's not. Um, <laughs> so, uh, rip to that interpretation. <laughs> so, it's not Orcus. In fact, the tomb is obviously not the tomb of a god. No one knows why it is called the tomb of Orcus. It's a complete n- misnomer. It's just someone's tomb. <laughs> oh. Um, so, the mystery continues. As his cult developed in Etruscan society and then later in Roman society, he became this, like, demonic character who was often perceived as, like, the evil part of the management of the dead. Um, So, like, he wasn't the only god of the underworld, um, and he was seen as, like, the evil god of the underworld. Um, Also, like Hades, where, like, 
Hades is the god, but Hades is also the name of the place when you where you go when you're dead. Mm-hmm. Um, the same can be said for Orcus at this time. Orcus was the god of the underworld, but also Orcus is where you went when you died. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't, it, wasn't it the same for Hell? Possibly. I'm not a Viking mythology expert. I'm so. pretty sure they called her Hell and called it hell or heller but yeah i knew that the the goddess is named hell i don't know much about the viking concept of other than valhalla like right anyways anyway (laughs) it seems to be a theme yeah and it's real easy it keeps things simple i guess yeah um so like I said, Orcus is the scarier side of the afterlife. Uh, I mean, I guess even though we don't have a clear picture of what he looked like, just kind of consider consider him like your average devil type. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but his mythological like evolution, um, as as a a story, I guess, kind of has a fun little journey so he starts out as a deity for the dead in the etruscan civilization uh he was also known as the punisher for oath breakers so if you broke your oath you had to deal with uh with orcus directly love that Um, but funnily enough he's also possibly the further evolution of a smaller greek pantheon cult um because apparently everyone steals everything from the greeks i guess um so do you remember who eris is the goddess of discord oh uh okay yes yeah we talked we talked about her way back in episode 18 when we talked about the judgment of paris yeah because she's the one who labeled an apple a golden apple to the fairest and threw it amongst a bunch yep. of goddesses. Um, and that is what led to Paris getting Helen of Troy and then that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Eris had a son and his name was Horcus with an H. And um, he was seen as the personification of oaths. So not only is there a similar spelling, but they also are tied to oaths and oath making. Mm-hmm. And I also put in my notes, and if the Trojan War taught us anything, it's that oaths reap chaos, so this tracks. Um, uh. I am also smack dab in the middle of reading Electra, which is so good. Um, oh, I'm so me, excited for that one. It just keeps reminding me how good of a story the Iliad and the Odyssey are mm-hmm. because there's just so much to them and they're they're I just they're just really rich stories. I love them. Um anyway. I loved on. Ariadne. So I have not much. read Ariadne. Oh, um, I have it. I know. We should just do a little Jennifer Saint swap. Great. Okay. Great. <laughs> Great. Um, that with uh not the same author but Circe. Madeline Miller. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. good. Okay, anyways. I know. Yeah. 
I love love this is, historical fiction, especially that kind of historical fiction. Mm-hmm. This is part of why when you said 1870s Italy, I threw out the 1870s part because I was like, I just am feeling some mythology shit. Honestly, fine. Like we've said before, it's always a guideline. Because even like, <laughs> even like when I cover stuff, because like I could search something and it's like, this is probably when it came about. And then when I go into it, that's either not what I come up with or that's one of the theories or like, it's just. It's and also, you need a timeline, and other than that, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we've we've covered like that so much well, of like, that period of Italy and that France period and- in Italy. Yeah, so I was like, I've already done a haunted house in this period. I've already done like murder, uh, a murder in this period. I've already uh, done a woman in this period. Yeah, all of this. <laughs> That's my other thing. I got a stick. Okay, great, great. great. <laughs> um. The fun thing with Orcus, though, is not only are his origins a little bit ambiguous, but he also kind of gets conflated with other deities within the Etruscan and then later the Roman pantheon, especially in the Roman pantheon. He is often, like, I saw in multiple articles as I was researching, his one of his aliases was listed as Pluto, which is the Roman version of Hades. Um, which isn't true at all. They're not the same, but like, I guess I shouldn't even really say it that way. Like there, there are distinct individuals, but in some cult worships they merged, which isn't uncommon in mythic evolution. Um, as, as people tell stories over time, you know, they change, they merge, they like, um, they kind of develop a life of their own. Mm-hmm. And then also Orcus um, becomes intermingled as an idea with the uh, another uh, member of the Roman pantheon named Dispater, um, who is surprisingly an original god of the underworld to the Roman pantheon. Like they didn't steal him from anyone, which uh, mm-hmm. is novel to say the least. Um suspicious it's a little sus but it's fine (laughs) um one big thing about orcus is that his cult worship was in the rural areas he didn't have any cult following within the urban areas so this has some really significant impacts and this is where i'm about to get on my fucking classicist soapbox because None of this is from what I researched. This is just my conclusions. Um, Based on everything that we've learned so far and the fact that we know that he was worshipped in rural areas, we can make some pretty solid assumptions about the nature of why we only have the information that we have. The first is that um, farmers were not exactly scholars during this period. If you were a farmer, that's what you were. And unless... It was farming related. If you happen to be literate, you weren't writing down the stories of your gods. You were writing down like, in this you season, were... we plant this. Or like signing your name to things or like, yeah. Literally anything, but as it was like typically just, practical. Just enough to know that what you're signing your name to is like, yes, I am selling you this livestock for this money. Like that's right. it. Like, yeah. 
you're not sitting down and writing epic poems about right. Orcus, the god of the underworld. Right. So, with that being said, if most of his worship is happening out in areas where people are not going to be commonly writing things down, we know of him, but we don't know a lot about him. We don't know what he looked like. We don't know any stories that, like, intricately evolve him, involve him. Um, there's definitely no, like... Hades and Persephone situation mm-hmm. um and part of it is because of the nature of where he was worshipped the other thing is peasants during this time weren't exactly like well traveled um most of them lived and died their like lived their whole life and died in the same like 20 mile radius so um his cult worship as a result would have become hyper localized, which could explain why in some instances he is conflated with other deities like Despotter and Pluto is because over generations, those stories will evolve on their own, just like anything else evolves over time. And you're not going to the village 30 kilometers away to check that your understanding of Orcus is still in line with what they've got going on. You're just doing your own thing. So that would be another good way to kind of conceptualize how these stories get so convoluted. Even in Greek mythology, this is really common. There are variations of stories because not only were they told over large expanses of land, but they were told orally. They weren't written down for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So there are going to be variations in the story. So if you ever hear a myth and you're like, well, that's not how I heard it, let that go. It's it's just not um, necessarily relevant anymore because right. they're, they say more about the people who were sharing those stories than they do about the actual myth itself. Right. Um, then the other thing is, um, and this one I think is perhaps my favorite part and why I started the episode in the way that I did, that it like myths evolve in this really beautiful way and they can carry over large expanses of time is that because he wasn't worshipped in urban areas, he um, was less subject to the speed of change that happens in urban areas. We see this today in the cities concepts and like cultural changes happen very quickly but in rural areas that takes much longer Mm. um and there are probably many sociological explanations for why that happens but if i can give you one comparison it is that like if you look at cities today they're very liberal and if you look at rural areas today they're very conservative and very like quote-unquote behind the times Mm -hmm. um this is like another example of that Mm -hmm. so in the urban areas the the worship the worship of like more mainstream deities like pluto the roman version of hades would have happened very quickly and they would have evolved sociologically past that more quickly But in the rural areas where Orcus was being worshipped, that didn't happen. So his worship continued much longer than, like, you would typically see for members of the Roman pantheon. 
And the cool ass thing about this is that it carried on in some forms into the medieval period, like when Christianity was a thing. Mm-hmm. So like aspects of his cult worship were then, as Christianity did, absorbed into the Christian tradition. And Caitlin, another past episode reference happened in my research. Um, that's two in this episode, which blew my mind. Um, the A lot of the things that um we think may have been a part of his cult worship were like absorbed into christianity in the form of like the woodwose festivals the wild man festivals um and we covered that in episode 49 if anyone is curious very Um, cool so like these these ideas keep like they have such an important part of like society but how we understand them changes over time. So while, you know, we needed this cult practice to help explain, like, the afterlife um, before, now we've moved into a time period where Christianity reigns and Christianity has a different explanation for the afterlife, but those cultural practices still need to exist somewhere so they get translated into into something else. So. I just, like, really love, like, even though I don't know and, like, we still don't know a lot about Orcus, because that's the nature of, like, studying stories from the past is, like, not everything got written down, dudes. Right. Um, like, it's clear that, like, in some way, shape, or form, this story, which may or may not have started out from the Greek tradition, morphed and changed as needed over time to fulfill a niche in society and i just think that that's like the coolest shit um but orcus's legacy doesn't stop there caitlin i have some more fun facts for you i can't wait (laughs) um so orcus's name can still be found in a very cool animal that holds a dear place in my heart uh any guesses if you had to just guess the killer whale yeah yep surprise you look thrilled to have gotten that right did you know that they play with their food by tossing it up in the air very very high mm-hmm. i did yeah. yeah they're insanely intelligent also, and also you know, really fucking terrifying yes but did you know that they're um they're not whales they're actually no, dolphins i didn't know that i did know that and um their name it, like experienced a transposition at some point because they were originally called whale killers because they would team up and kill whales and then over time it became killer whale even though they're dolphins i didn't know that that's very cool mm-hmm. um i know a lot about orca uh, like orcas and killer whales i don't know why i just find them really fascinating uh, anyway it's not as you might assume from the word orca but it's actually their genus or kinis mm. where the orcas tradition lands um, Orcanist is Latin for belonging to Orcus or belonging to the underworld. Cool. So um, that does make sense. It does make sense. It suits their fucking satanic ass whale killing practices perfectly and seal they killing are practices. Psychos. They are, but they're so smart, dude. They are. They are. So Orcus's legacy is a demonic creature. Uh, is carried into a very popular fantasy realm. Uh, any guesses on this one? No. Lord of the Rings. 
I I knew I was going to kick myself. It's fine. <laughs> um, oh, orcs. Duh. Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. So Orcus is like <laughs> intertwined with the word orc. I would I would say like it's part orcus, part ogre. Mm-hmm. Um uh and J.R.R. Tolkien specifically references it in like a side note on a manuscript that like Orcus is the origin um for the for the the word orc in his understanding anyway. Mm-hmm. Um so that's pretty cool and also um Orcs are terrifying, so it checks out. Um, Orcus is also apparently a character in D&D. I know nothing about D&D, so that's all I have on that. And then lastly, there is this park in Lazio in Italy, which is... I can't tell if it's just south of or if it would have been in the same area that the Etruscans were... Um, it is hard to tell because the two things don't exist on the same map, and I didn't mm. feel like like printing them out, laying them over one another to figure it out. Sure. Um, but it's called the Sacred Grove, or more simply, the Gardens of Bomarza, which um, Lazio is the province, Bomarza is the actual village, and locally they call this park um, the Park of the Monsters. And it was created in the 16th century, and it's got some really divine sculpture work in it. But one of the things, and there's a picture on this on, picture of this on the drive, is this spooky doorway-looking thing, mm-hmm. and it's called the Mouth of Orcus. Along the mouth, you can't really see it in that photo, but like on the lips around the top of the mouth opening, there's, like runes. Yeah, it says in uh, Latin. Ogni pensiero vola, which means every thought flies. Ah. And it's because the sculpture is designed in a way that when you stand inside the mouth, even if you whisper, it amplifies the sound so anyone standing outside can hear it plain as day, which is insane to me. Um, And also, um, I feel like there's some This picture is actually really high quality because when I zoomed in, I could perfectly read it. FYI. Yeah. Okay. I just downloaded it off Wikipedia. So. Yeah, no, but whoever took this and yeah, this is excellent <laughs> quality. Anyways. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. So like something about the idea of being able to stand in this terrifying goddamn face mm-hmm. and like whisper and someone standing outside can hear you. No, thank you. I don't. I, I'm really uncomfy with that. Yeah. Idea. So much for privacy. Jeez. Um, but I think actually it like, it kind of also perfectly ties into at that time the really strict ideas that they had about like your relationship with God. Like God knows every time you've sinned, even if you just mm-hmm. thought it. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a real world example of that. Yeah. <laughs> Like, even if you just whisper it, everyone's going to hear it and everyone's going to know and everyone's going to judge you. So, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I can also see that having a lot to do with Orcus. Like, if that's the, they're a god of the underworld, then, like, mm-hmm. like, he's going to know and that's why you're going to end up in the underworld. Like, it doesn't matter how small your secret, like, kind of right. that, that vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
I, like, I feel like I gave you nothing concrete in terms of, like, an actual story about Orcus, but it, like I said at the beginning, it was, like, more about the evolution of a figure or, a, like, a story mm-hmm. trope and how it changes over time the, to fill the needs of whatever society's got going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, my favorite kind of, like, historical, um, like, undertaking in terms of like learning about that so um i initially started this because like oh there's got to be some sick ass stories about this like demon dude none zero but way interesting stuff in a completely different aspect well it's hard to have stories about something that you stole um well tell that to the rest of the roman pantheon man yeah they're aware (laughs) they know they know (laughs) um yeah she knows she knows she knows she knows is that another reference i'm supposed to get i guess not is it a song i feel like yes okay it's like just like really quiet back here okay got it yeah Um, there's a reference to the thing on tiktok she knows she knows you know oh, yeah, she knows yeah. mm-hmm. yep it i got it now there you go it clicked thank you, <laughs> thank you. now it's gonna be stuck in my head fuck well should have gotten it right away that's Just the price kidding. i pay i guess um yeah so that's orcus um i okay um i definitely love well, I love the Greek pan- pantheon. I love Greek mythology. Um, obviously, it's older. There's a lot more um, stake in it, if you will. Um, but as a person who took four years of Latin, I'm sort of partial to it. And I know that they stole literally everything that they did. Literally everything that they came across was stolen. Stolen stories, stolen mythology, stolen land said that at the top mm-hmm. um but it is fascinating to like learn about something because like i feel like when you hear about mythology we do usually talk about greek mythology which is fair that's where it originated why wouldn't we so it is kind of fun to learn about something that has like a little bit more of the roman background um yeah and like that's another thing too is like i feel like this story of orcus does a good job of demonstrating how stories travel because like even the fact that he may have been an offshoot of a greek mythological origin right like the son of eris who um is the personification of oaths then becomes somehow because of the psychological and sociological needs of the Etruscan society, the God of the underworld and the like punisher of those who break their oaths. Mm -hmm. So like that story had to make it to from Greece where it originated to Italy, which there's like a lot of seafaring happening there, but it just tells you that like, it just is like a nice reminder that um, like 
civilizations of this time weren't immobile. They weren't stationary and stagnant. They had merchants that traveled all over the place. And with those merchants were sailors. And those sailors went and shared stories. And some of them decided to stay somewhere else and share those stories further. And, like, we, I feel like we tend to, like, think of the ancient period in European history is very stagnant whereas like today we think about modern Europe you can go anywhere you can do anything um like everything's very loosey-goosey but there was a certain amount of mobility in the ancient times as well in terms of like seafaring and trade and like moving people places and things and ideas all the nouns Mm -hmm. to other places in the world and intermingling them with whatever was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is this story is just like a really nice reminder of that because oftentimes we do tend to get really siloed, especially with how popular stories like the Song of Achilles are, like get really siloed into this idea that like Greek mythology is king and like it just was its own thing on a mountain on its own, mm-hmm. siloed from everything else, and that's definitely not the case at all. Mm-hmm. Well, you had been brought up earlier about how a lot of this was oral tradition mm-hmm. and not necessarily written tradition, and mm-hmm. I feel like that also has something to say about like how kind of about what you were just saying, people may have experienced a lot more of the world than they thought that they did, mm-hmm. but we only know about so much about what they knew even though they may have traveled to other places and seen other things and experienced other things but didn't necessarily like know that that's what was going on right like if you looked at for example i say this because we brought up viking mythological tradition earlier Mm -hmm. if you look at norse mythology at face value as a story of its people you would never know that Uh, Vikings made it to North America Mm -hmm. but through our archaeological work and through studying um, like oral tradition and things like that we've learned more about how Vikings came into contact with North America which is a completely unheard of thing like 50 years ago we just like never would have really thought of that Um, and so not only does like did that period change a lot more than we thought like tend to think that it did and any period i guess where the internet didn't exist um (laughs) to record everything yeah um but also like we're learning more about it all the time so like just because this is all we know about orcas right now doesn't mean we won't discover a tomb that has a story painted on the wall that tells how Orcus had his own version of fucking Persephone or whatever. Like, yep. you know, like there are so many stories that we've, we've lost way more stories Yes, in this like existence than mm-hmm. we currently know mm-hmm. um, and have, and can put into words. So mm-hmm. yeah, oral tradition plays a big part of that. I kind of this is like a philosophical thing, but I kind of thought about this earlier when you were when you were talking about that explaining um yeah, like especially 
we think like Romans and how much they, you know, conquered um, based on like what they knew. I was thinking about the fact of like how many civilizations tried to conquer the world, quote, um, because they only knew part of the world. Like what we Mm -hmm. now literally have evidence of as the entire world. They were like, oh, yeah, I'm going to conquer the known world. And it's like, yeah, because your known world is not that big. For the Akkadians, it could have been anything between the Tigris and the Euphrates. Right. Um, Like, but the area between these two rivers in Mesopotamia, like, that's the known world to that civilization. Right. Um, But how do, like... Or to the Etruscans, like, I don't know that Etruscans are maybe as good of an example because they were on the coast, so there was more trade happening. But to them, like, their concept of the world might have been a lot smaller than what Rome's concept of the world ended up being. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just, like, also... I. I thought about that earlier when you were when you were talking about it and it just like also kind of like came across my mind that it was like oh no this does make sense that there were people who were like I am going to conquer the known world I mean not that that was the words that they were thinking but it was like I'm going to conquer the world as I know it and it was a very small world mm-hmm. and then now we know it as a lot more and it's like no you could have never you could have never conquered all of this but you also did not know that this was what a existed and there also might be civilizations that tried to do that and yeah because the area that they knew was so small we would never know <laughs> like right right you know um right. or they tried to do that and then we're flooded i'm still thinking of atlantis it's fine i respect that <laughs> firm believer if it if it gives you any hope um, I'm a firm believer in the idea that the story of Atlantis comes from Santorini. I'm probably biased because I have been there and seen what the island looks like versus what it had looked like in the geological record. Um, <laughs> like the volcano exploded and half the island was gone all of a like sudden. Like melted literally yeah, into the like, ocean. Just, yeah. just blown away. Yeah. Um, but there is actually no evidence on the island of Santorini that there was a wholesale, like, die-off of people. So they likely knew that the volcano was going to erupt and left. Which so, is totally fair because we are able to predict when volcanoes erupt for yeah. the most part. Yeah. So if that makes you feel any better about the... the um, the uh, people of quote-unquote atlantis i don't know the only reason it doesn't (laughs) is because supposedly (laughs) no i'm gonna get into like the disney depths of atlantis having technology that we don't and then (laughs) um (laughs) got it (laughs) um dude like we could They're talk supposed about to that know more than us. <laughs> we could talk about that all day. All right. Um, I think we should probably wrap up because we've been at this for a while. <laughs> we should. Um, do you have a, a time period and a region to teach? I do. Well, first, okay. Special thanks go to oh, the yes. Italians because why not? 
Why not? But not the Romans. <laughs> not the Romans. Sorry. Not well, sorry. Yes, the Romans, because we get we got Orcus. We wouldn't um, We wouldn't have Orcus. <laughs> I don't know why I made a whale sound there, but apparently yeah. that was necessary. <laughs> we wouldn't have Orcus if it wasn't for the Romans. Um, also, thank you to the Cyclops that's in the photo. His lush eye, eye uh, lashes. Beautiful. Gorgeous. Will give me gorgeous. Um, envious dreams. Um, also, I don't know, Moscato, I feel like I need to say thank you to... You know what? Thank you to the show Greek for that just being so great. I was going to say... Um... What were you going to say? <laughs> mimosas jesus christ that word was so hard for me to think of (laughs) thank you to mimosas sweet wine and orange juice let's go baby you know what i'm not mad about it yeah that was that was really really difficult for me to think of i i respect it that's what i've got those are my special things Thanks I've, to you guys, because wow, this is quite the episode. We say that every great time. job for staying on. Not every time, because not every time do I feel this awful. Um. <laughs> uh, I would like to say a special thanks to the Etruscans. Um, yeah. The you know, and um, to the wonder one 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 wonderful world of archaeology yeah. and classical studies. It is, it is my true love, my one true love in this life. So, it's a good one. Yeah, that's a good special thanks. Thanks. Aww. <laughs> did I just put you in your feels a little bit? Oh, yeah, you did. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> what are we looking forward to next? Uh, for next time, my dude. Okay. So next time, we are going to be looking at eighteen tens. France, or Ooh, you're gonna love or, this. Oh you're gonna God. love this. 1930s Minnesota. Sick. Okay, <laughs> I'm so excited. I Minnesota know. during the Great Depression. Let's go. I know you would love that. <laughs> okay, so I'm not bringing a actually, France story next time. For the record, literally today, I I thought of. The thing that I will be covering. And I was like, oh, this will be fun. And looked into it a little bit and was like, oh, yeah, Mari is going to have a great time. <laughs> I was oh, super also, excited. Because it's the holiday season, I have to tell you, I have enjoyed Season's First Eggnog. Um, mm. And I know that you hate it. might want to vom thinking about it. But I... Could not be happier. Now that I don't have a gallbladder, I can drink it. And I am thrilled. Good. So. Good. Good. Oh. Well, I have, um, since the season, quote, like, started, I have had an apple cider with fireball. And I love that for you. a hot cocoa with peppermint schnapps. You know, those are way better than my um, pumpkin Mediocre spiced- eggnog? Oh no, not that. Eggnog <laughs> takes the cake. Shut up. Um no, my my pumpkin spice tea with bourbon in it um is is my holiday drink of choice other than eggnog. That actually sounds baller. 
It's so good, dude. Yum. <laughs> Are you adding yep. some cream to that? Nope. I don't have any right now. But oh. that sounds like but a like great a idea. Splash? Just a splash. Yeah, I'm gonna do it next time when I go grocery shopping for sure. That sounds really great. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So basically we're crushing it this holiday season. Yeah. We hope <laughs> your holiday season is going just as slow. <laughs> And I think, I think we gotta wrap it. I think that's gotta... it. That's all I got. That's all I got. Uh, I have no more thoughts in my brain. So, all right, cheers, um... nerds. Okay, bye. Alcohol and anecdotes is hosted, produced, and edited by Caitlin Hedberg and Mari Harlow. Our intro and outro music is courtesy of Vanity Plate of Minot, North Dakota. You can visit alcoholandanecdotes.com to find episode content and merch. You can also email us at alcoholandanecdotes at gmail.com or send us a message on Instagram or Facebook at alcoholandanecdotes. You can listen to us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow, rate, or review our podcast or subscribe to us on Patreon for additional support and to help keep Alcohol and Anecdotes going. While we joke about alcohol use and mental health issues as a part of our day-to-day, we know that both can be no laughing matter. If you're struggling with substance abuse or a mental health disorder, please call the SAMHSA National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP for information on local treatment options, support groups, and community-based organizations. Once again, that's 1-800-662-HELP. Thanks for listening. Cheers, nerds.